Good morning. Um, For those of you who don't know me, uh, my name is Wade Harris. I'm Pastor Tim's son. Um, I grew up in this church. Um, I love Woodburn, and it's always a joy to be back, Um, especially when I get to to preach. Um, It's always a lot of fun. Um, It's kind of like, well, I mean, it is coming home. So um, it's thank you guys for having me. Um, For those of you joining us um, on podcast um, or on Facebook Live this morning, welcome. And we're excited to have you as well. Um, So yeah, we have been going through a sermon series called The Man Who Had Everything. Um, Y'all had, I guess, a week off last week because of the snow. Um, So it's been two weeks since y'all have heard a sermon in this series. So um, I'm pretty sure y'all are a little rusty, so we'll refresh your memory. Um, But I do want want y'all to respond um, to help me figure out where y'all are at, what y'all remember. Um, So let's start. Who is Solomon? David's son. Yeah, Solomon was the son of King David and Bathsheba. Um, soon after, he became the king over Israel, um, following his, his father, King David. Um, God made him a unique offer. What was that offer? Yeah, anything you want. Um, God offered to give King Solomon um, literally anything his heart desired. Um, um, so what did Solomon ask for? A hearing heart. Yeah, so... Um, Solomon asked for a hearing heart. Um, a lot of us probably would have immediately asked for like a new car or um, a better paycheck or um, a new house, something along those lines. But um, no, Solomon asked for, for wisdom, for a hearing heart, uh, which I think is really awesome. Um, the thing that sets Solomon apart from most other people, especially, uh, especially like us, um, is that he um, asked for something that would benefit others. He asked for a hearing heart so that he could be um, the, God, uh, the man that God asked him to be, had called him to be the king that would lead Israel um, well and that would point them to, to Jesus or to God. Um, and yeah, so I just think that's amazing that his greatest desire was to be wise for the benefit of others and, and not for his own selfish gain. Um, but then we, we kind of saw in the last sermon that things didn't quite go um, in such a spiritual way for, for Solomon. Um, his wisdom um, was great. He wrote most of the book of Proverbs, so he was a very, very influential man, a very wise man. He knew a lot of, um, a lot of things, and he, and he taught very well and very eloquently as well. Um, but we see that at the beginning of his life, um, Solomon loved the Lord. That's how his whole story began. But at the end of his life, it says Solomon loved women. So obviously, his heart didn't quite follow after the Lord like it did at the beginning of his life. Um, and that's kind of where we're going to pick back up to, today. Um, Proverbs 1, verses, verse 7, um, Solomon wrote, Fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, and today we're going to see kind of how that isn't quite how Solomon's life would have been summed up toward the end. Um, Basically, Solomon, one of the big things we've learned so far is that wisdom only does you any good if it is rooted in the fear of the Lord and obedience to him. Wisdom only does you any good if it, if it is rooted in fear of the Lord and obedience to him. So that's where we're going to pick up today um, in Ecclesiastes. So if you have your Bible, um, I would encourage you to open it up to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Um, last, the last time we were in Proverbs, just flip over a couple pages, you'll be in Ecclesiastes. It's the book right after that. Um, if you're familiar with the book of Ecclesiastes, you probably um, haven't spent a lot of time in it. You might have some mixed feelings toward it. Um, Ecclesiastes isn't exactly a, a happy book. <laughs> um, 
it's pretty depressing, actually, and it's probably not the, the verses you'll go to on a, on a bad day or when you're um, having, needing a little pick-me-up. Um, it's kind of the opposite of that. Um, so yeah, so Ecclesiastes chapter 1, I'm going to read ver, uh, verse 1, and then I'll skip down to verse 12, and then we'll read all the way to the end of chapter 2. Um, so it's a, it's a big chunk, but um, I think it's really important, so um, stick with me. <clears throat> Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. That's Solomon. Um, and then verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom, and to know madness, and to know folly, and I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow." Chapter 2. I said in my heart, Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was vanity. I said of laughter, It is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched my, with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made gardens and parks for myself and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. And I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem." I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also my wisdom remained with me. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly, for what can the man do who, who comes after the king? Only what has already been done. Then I saw that there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, and as there is more gain in light than in darkness. Then the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceive that the same event happens to all of them. Then I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For of the wise, as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have long been forgotten. How the wise dies, just like the fool. 
So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after wind. And I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me and who knows whether he will be wise or a fool. Yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This also is vanity. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over the, all the toil of my labors under the sun, because sometimes a person who has toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who did not toil for it. This also is vanity, a great evil. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. There is nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This also is vanity and the striving after wind. <clears throat> That's a, a good start. Um, Solomon obviously um, has a really positive view on life, and he's an optimist, and um, he's obviously in a good spot. Um, no, I'm kidding. Um, <clears throat> seriously, what, what happened? Um, can this really be the same man who once wanted to serve God's people and when offered anything he wanted, chose wisdom? I mean, is this really the same guy who said that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge? It's hard to believe, but it, it is. This is Solomon. Um, this is kind of the, the epitome of his downfall, and we see it in great detail. Solomon laid it out for us very well. Um, yeah, in Ecclesiastes chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, we kind of see um, a brief testimony to how Solomon came into wisdom and also how he was giving everything else he had. Um, so verse 12, it says, um, I, the preacher, have been king over Israel in Jerusalem. So he's king. I mean, for most of us, just to be king would be enough. But, <laughs> I mean, Solomon was king and then had everything else as well. And then verse 13 he says, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. So he's king of Israel, but he's also still searching and seeking for something more. He's seeking for something on earth, something under heaven that might be better than, than what he's already achieved and what he already has. Um, and he just keeps searching and seeking. And then he goes on to say that it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. Um, essentially, he's saying that life, um, this task that God's given us, just living, um, is an unhappy business. And this is coming from the man who is king, but also who has literally everything else he could possibly want. I just think that's, that's really interesting. Um, and then verse 14, he says, I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and a striving after wind. So he's seen everything that this earth has to offer, that this life has to offer, and he thinks that it's vanity, it's meaningless, it's a striving after wind. 
even after gaining everything and seeing everything and doing everything, Solomon still finds himself with a deep emptiness that cannot be satisfied despite his greatest efforts and his deepest longings. No matter what he did, no matter what he has, he still is just so empty and he's searching for something so much more. So this word vanity, we, we heard it a lot in these first two chapters. Um, it's at least 10 times, I might've missed counted a little bit when I was going through, but it's at least 10 times that he says that either life or something he has or something he's done is vanity. Uh, so what does that mean? Um, the Hebrew word for vanity is pronounced hebel, something like that. Um, and essentially it means um, breath or vapor or um, morning mist or um, something without substance. So um, think of a breath. Um, if you breathe out, it's really short. Um, you can't see it. It doesn't last very long. And eventually you're going to have to take another one. It doesn't last very long. Same thing with like the morning mist. Like when the dew is on the grass in the morning and you see it rising up as the sun rises, um, it lasts maybe a couple of minutes, but it doesn't last long and then it's gone. Um, and essentially that's what Solomon is saying that life is. He's saying that life is fleeting and empty and meaningless. And he often pairs it with the phrase, a striving after wind. So kind of think about that. Uh, whenever a storm rolls in or a cool breeze blows through, you can see the trees moving, you can see the grass moving, you can see um, trash rolling across the street, something like that. Um, but you can't see the wind. Um, you can't see it. You don't know where it's going. You don't know where it's coming from. Um, so the, like the, the idea of striving after wind or chasing after the wind it's kind of, kind of ridiculous because, like, you can't chase it because you don't really know what you're chasing. Um, and I think that's the point Solomon is trying to make is, like, you can't, you can't chase the wind. You can't catch the wind. You can't hold on to the wind. And in the same way, um, everything is meaningless. And so, like, chasing the wind is pointless because you're never going to be able to do it. <clears throat> and I think that he pairs these two metaphors and these words um, intentionally to let us know that man, he really means this. Like, this is pointless. Life is meaningless um, in and of itself. <clears throat> but then in verse 15, he kind of takes a little bit of a turn. He's been talking about how things are meaningless, life is meaningless. But then he says, what is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I think that's really interesting because he kind of takes a break from talking about things and life and um, stuff, and he starts talking kind of more about moral things, like moral right and wrong. Um, growing up, uh, me and my cousin Shelby, we, we had a swing hanging from the branch in our grandparents' backyard. And after school, we'd go over there and we'd be pushing each other on the swing. And um, if you've ever swing before, it's kind of hard to stay in a straight line. And especially if somebody's pushing you, and especially if it's your cousin who like wants you to get off the swing. Um, but if, inevitably, every time we'd be swinging, uh, one of us would push each other a little bit crooked, and every time we would say, stop, you're pushing me crooked. And um, I think that that's a really cool image when we see this in Scripture, because crooked, it, it means something that's not straight, something that's not right. Um, whenever I would tell Shelby to stop pushing me crooked, it was because I wasn't going the way I wanted to go. And I think that Solomon's intentional words here, um, it proves that he's not only longing for satisfaction in things, but he's also longing for satisfaction in righteousness and in um, just doing good and good versus evil. Um, but the idea of crooked, especially in Scripture, it implies that something is sinful. 
Um, and I think that's what the Solomon is trying to say is that what is sinful cannot be made straight. Uh, what is sinful cannot be made right, cannot be made holy. And what is lacking cannot be counted. Um, and I think Solomon kind of goes a little, he gets pretty deep on us really quick. He goes from saying, yeah, I've had everything, it's meaningless. And then he says, uh, what is sinful? Like, it can't be made right. Um, and man, I think he goes to a whole new level there by just saying, like, not only is, th- are, is everything meaningless, but this is pretty hopeless, too. And I think that's really cool, but also really sad. Um, and then he goes on in verse 16, and he says, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. Uh, so Solomon, I mean, he's wiser than anyone that's ever stepped on foot on the earth before, and he obviously knows the difference between wisdom and foolishness. Um, but he compares wisdom and folly, but he does this right after talking about being crooked and being sinful. And I think that's interesting. I think that if you are wise, I think Solomon is saying that if you're wise, you're more likely to stay on the path, stay, stay the right path, choose to do good. And if you are foolish, you're choosing to go after temptation, choosing sin. Um, but then he compares the two and says, basically, it doesn't matter if you're wise or if you're foolish, it's all vanity. It's all meaningless. Um, I think that's just so fascinating because you think Solomon, the wisest man on earth, he would, he would surely choose to, to be right, to choose to, to fear the Lord. But it just kind of goes to show that no matter how smart you are or how wise you are, you can't outrun your sin. And I think that's, that's the point Solomon's trying to make is it doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter where you go, what you do, how wise you are, you, you can't outrun your sin. And then in verse 18, he says, he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. And I think that's really interesting because Proverbs 1-7, which we, I mentioned earlier, it says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So Solomon clearly, he has knowledge. He knows what he's talking about. But he says that, as you increase knowledge, you increase sorrow. I think what he's trying to say here is that the, the more wisdom you have, the more you learn, the more broken you see the world is. The more you understand how, uh, how sinful and how broken this life is, this world is, how broken and sinful we are. <clears throat> I think that's, that's just a, a really powerful thing to learn is that we can't outrun our sin. And then chapter two, Solomon goes into pretty, pretty good detail, but also keeps it pretty short, um, basically just giving us an entire rundown of everything he tried, everything he did to try to be satisfied, to try and, and be fulfilled. So let's go through and just kind of summarize it. Uh, verse one, he says, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. So he's basically saying, anything my heart wants, I'm going to try it. Enjoy it. Then verse two, he says, of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? So pleasure, laughter, basically pointless. Verse three, he says, I search with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. Talking about alcohol, he tried to drink his sorrows away, drink his satisfaction, and it didn't do anything. And then verse four, he says, I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Basically, he built every castle he wanted, every house he wanted, every garage he wanted, um, every wall he wanted. And he planted vineyards for himself, and he made gardens and parks and planted trees. Basically, he's living in just this beautiful place. He has everything he wants. He can build whatever he wants. And then 
Verse 6, I made myself pools to water the forest. Um, Verse 7, I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. Um, Basically, he has people waiting on him hand and foot. If he he needs something, all he has to do is um, snap his fingers or pick up his phone and call somebody. If he wants a burger from McDonald's, he just has to order Uber Eats and they'll bring it to his front door. Um, Basically, he has everything he needs. Verse um, 7 also says he has great possessions of herds and flocks more than anyone who had been before him in Jerusalem. So he has all kinds of cows, sheep, camels, goats, whatever you think of, he has it. He has more than anyone else has ever had before him. Verse 8, I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings. He's got more money than he knows what to do with. Um, And then he says, I have singers, both men and women. So he basically has a quartet singing him to sleep every night and a choir waking him up in the morning. He has concubines and wives, the delight of the sons of man. So Solomon has, he has it all. He really does have everything you could want, everything he wanted. And then in verse 10, it says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. So basically anything he saw and that he wanted, he took it, he got it. And then he just continues to say that he was great and he surpassed all who were before him in Jerusalem. But Then he concludes all of that by saying, all of it was vanity, a striving after wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Solomon basically had everything he wanted. Anything he could have asked for, he had it. Um, And then skip down to verse 24 in chapter 2. He says, there's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? I think that's a really interesting little switch he flips right there. He goes from listing all the things he has and all the things he's done and talking about how meaningless it is. And then he suddenly says, but all of this is from the hand of God. This, these are gifts from the Lord um, to me. And it's almost like he kind of realizes like, this is meaningless, but there might be more to this. Um, It doesn't last long because he goes a few verses later and says, this is vanity, striving after the wind. So, um, but I think it's interesting that he kind of like goes there a little bit. He thinks maybe there's more and then he continues on. But I think we can all feel that tension. I think we've all had days where we feel like we're not enough, where we don't have what we want and we're, we're we're dissatisfied and we're empty. Um, I think we've all felt like if we just could get that job, then we've made it. Or if we could just get that promotion, get that better paycheck, then, then we'll be okay. Or if we get that new car or that new phone, um, then, then we've made it. Um, I know some of you probably bought that iPhone 10 a couple months ago, and then a couple weeks later, they put out the iPhone 10 Max, and you're thinking, wow, if I just waited a couple more weeks, I would have been even happier than I am now. And, um, and soon, soon enough, you're looking at that brand new phone with the, the LCD crystal clear screen and the dual lens camera and no home button. It's a big deal now. Um, and you're thinking, man, this is pretty much equivalent to the Nokia brick phone I had in middle school. And you just really aren't happy. You, you never will be. Um, but I think that as Solomon reads this, like we, we can relate on some level. I mean, yeah, Solomon's wealth and the things he had were massive. It was so much bigger than what we have. But but still, like, 
just think about that. If we aren't happy with what we have and Solomon wasn't happy with what we had, there's, there's a trend. There's something we need to learn there. Um, and it's really just no surprise that we all have the same experience. <clears throat> but yeah, so Solomon starts Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes off pretty, pretty well. Um, he is not, not hiding his, his purpose in writing this at all. Um, like I said, he's said the word vanity at least 10 times in the first two chapters. Um, and there's 12 chapters, so do the math. Um, he's pretty, pretty insistent on life being meaningless. Um, but to truly understand exactly where he's coming from and why he's coming in at this angle, you have to go back to Genesis, um, the very beginning of it all. So um, you don't have to flip with me. I'm just going to read a couple verses. But, um, but Solomon makes a few allusions in, in Ecclesiastes to Genesis that I think are really significant, and I don't think that they're an accident. Um, <clears throat> so in Ecclesiastes 1, verse 5, um, we didn't read it, but it says, um, the sun rises and the sun sets. And it basically just paints this picture of a pattern that happens every single day, a routine that we just kind of get stuck in and lo- for, lose sight of and get used to. Um, but he, he uses words that mirror or parallel those in the creation story in Genesis. So when God creates the earth, he creates in days, and every single day he creates something, Scripture says the sun rises, the sun sets, night, and then there's day, the first day, the third day, whatever. Um, and then God says, but it's, and, that, and it was good. It was good. But I don't think Solomon's saying the sun rises and the sun sets, and it was good. Um, so clearly there's some disconnect there between Solomon and, and God's purpose. And then kind of along the same lines, Solomon talks a lot about toiling and working <clears throat> and talking about how um, he's toiled under the sun and he um, basically it's worthless because he's going to do all this work and then someone's going to come along behind him and, and reap the benefits of it. But that's pretty interesting because in Genesis chapter 3, after Adam and Eve have sinned, um, God's basically kicking them out of the Garden of Eden. Um, but before they leave, God says, by the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it, you were taken your dust and to dust you shall return. And then skip down to verse 23 and it says, therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. So clearly God's purpose is that we work. He wants, um, he wants us to work and he wants us to work for his glory and for his purposes. Um, and it's supposed to be good, but but Solomon's not doing it in a way that seems very good. Um, and that's because that's not how God intends it. Um, and it's like, as Solomon writes this book, you can almost feel his groaning and his tension and his stress. And it's like you're working alongside of him because we've all been there. We know the, the stress of working day in and day out, and we know how it can be tough. Um, so we can feel that tension. Um, at least I can. I hope you do too. Like, there's a, a tangible tension in Ecclesiastes um, where we know that Solomon, what he's saying feels true. Like we feel that meaningless, that hopelessness, that vanity, but surely this isn't how God intended it. Surely this isn't the way life's supposed to be. Um, he didn't intend for, for your marriage to struggle or your kids to rebel or you to lose your job that you so hard worked for. Um, but yeah, that's not how God intended it. God intended for each of us life and life everlasting. But because of sin, we can never feel fully satisfied or deeply fulfilled. 
Um, because of sin, we can't feel fully, fully satisfied or deeply fulfilled. Um, and then in Genesis 3, when Eve took the fruit from the serpent and shared it with Adam and they ate, um, they, they decided that they were going to take satisfaction and the gifts from the Lord into their own hands. They, they decided that what they could do by their own power was better than what God could do um, for them and through them. Um, and we're still feeling that tension from that moment. Like we still try to take satisfaction and pleasure and power into our own hands. And that's not how God intended it. <clears throat> One more thing from Genesis. The Hebrew word for vanity is pro- pronounced hebel or hebel, somewhere, something along those lines. Um, I'm not a Hebrew scholar. Um, but um, some scholars have equated that word to the name Abel, like Cain and Abel. And I think that's really interesting because if you, if you are familiar with this story of Cain and Abel, um, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve's first two sons, um, they both presented offerings to the Lord, um, but Cain's heart wasn't in the right place. He didn't give his best because he wanted to hold on to his best, whereas Abel gave his best, and the Lord was pleased. The Lord found favor with Abel. Um, but then Cain was just so overtaken by jealousy that he murdered his brother. He murdered Abel, and Abel's life was cut short um, because of Cain's sin. So sin cut Abel's life short. And I think that's interesting that the name Abel means morning mist or something without substance. And that's the exact same word that Solomon uses to, to describe life. And I think that's because life, just like Abel's life, was cut short by sin. Our lives are made meaningless by sin. But it's not supposed to be that way. That's not how God intended it. And the good news is that's not the end. Like this life isn't the end. You aren't um, destined to work in this dead-end job or work nine to five and watch the sun rise and the sunset until you die. You are literally um, (laughs) created for a purpose and God intended your life to be so much more. Um, But more than that, uh, we have hope. Uh, We don't have a meaningless life. We have hope. Um, Solomon had everything his heart wanted, everything his heart could have desired. Um, He had mansions, a kingdom, um, servants, money, fame, power, and wisdom. Um, But he still found himself hopeless and unsatisfied. Um, And I think that his longing for something more than this life could offer is something that we all feel on a daily basis. Um, I mean, and if it were up to me, I would have a great car. I'd have a, a Joanna Gaines house and... Um, a great dog, and it'd be awesome. It'd be so good. Um, But eventually, like, your house is going to get dirty. You're going to have to clean it, and you're going to get tired of that. Um, You're going to find, like, dog hair in your your new car, and you're going to have to clean that up. And eventually, you're just going to be like, man, if I just had this, it'd be even better. Or if I just had that, it'd be even better. Um, But the point is, um, we feel this tension that Solomon is describing. We, We feel that this is not how it's supposed to be. Um, nothing you achieve, nothing you buy, nothing you do um, will ever offer your soul true rest and satisfaction and hope. Um, and, and here's why. <clears throat> Just like Adam and Eve um, chose sin, chose to take things into their own hand, we do the same thing. We're sinful, we're broken, we're hopeless, we're selfish. Um, nothing we do or achieve will ever um, amount to anything because we're only in it for ourselves. Um, we're, we're only in it to, to get what we can get 
And Solomon, he lived that exact same, that exact same way, and he called it vanity, a striving after the wind. And I think that the same is definitely true today um, as we do the same thing. Um, but, but that's not how God intended it. I, I can't stress that enough. That's not how God intended this life to be. And luckily, he didn't leave us here um, hopeless and broken and sinful. He, he sent his son. He sent Jesus, fully God, fully human, to come and live in this sinful and broken world that Solomon described as meaningless and vanity and a striving after wind. And he, Jesus lived the life that we can't live. He feared the Lord perfectly. He obeyed the Lord perfectly. And he lived a sinless life. And then he died the death that we're supposed to die because of our sin so that we wouldn't have to. <clears throat> God gave himself for our sake, freeing us from our sin and giving us hope. So we don't have to read um, Ecclesiastes and feel that tension the same way that Solomon did. We don't have to read this passage and think, man, life is hopeless, like it's vanity. Might as well go home and take a nap. Um, no, we can read this as people who have hope because we have Jesus. And we know that Jesus has done what we can't do so that we don't have to live this way. Um, because of Jesus, all is not vanity, as Solomon believed. Um, we have eternal life because of Jesus. We have purpose. We have hope. And that hope reminds us and makes us believe that even on our worst days, we serve a God who loves us and is with us and has intended things better for us than we could ever achieve for ourselves. Um, flip over a couple pages to Ecclesiastes chapter 12. <clears throat> um, Ecclesiastes chapter 12 is the, the last book in Ecclesiastes, and it's kind of the end of um, Solomon's, I guess, his thoughts and his life, and you kind of realize where, where he kind of comes to, I guess, his realization at the very end of his life. <clears throat> seems like he kind of comes back around a little bit. Um, after all of this meaningless and hopelessness and we all die, it doesn't matter what we do, um, Solomon seems to have a little bit of a, um, a come to Jesus uh, moment. He kind of realizes that um, it's okay to be young and to, to make um, dumb decisions, but you have to remember the God who created you and gave you all of these good gifts. And this whole chapter, um, it's actually a really beautiful poem um, with metaphors of basically equating the body to a house and saying, remember your creator before your body breaks down, before it's too late, before, you, um, before it's too late for you to, to choose to do that. Um, basically, he's saying, remember your creator today. And um, the very end of, of the whole book, he says, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. <clears throat> Kind of reminds me of Proverbs 1-7 when Solomon says that fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Um, it's almost like Solomon has come to this realization that you can do whatever you want to do. You can have whatever you want to have. But if you don't remember the Lord and remember who created you and who's given you all of these good things, then, then life really is going to be meaningless. Um, but even more so, um, if you don't remember Jesus and remember the the Savior who washed away our sins and made our lives, um, gave our lives purpose and gave us hope, then, then your life really will be meaningless. So Solomon is, um, it's, a, it's a tragic story. It's a tragic life, but 
Um, it's one that reminds us that we don't have to have the same fate. We don't have to have the same life um, because, because Jesus has come for us. He's come to save us. Um, and we just have to, to walk into that and accept the gospel. So um, <clears throat> if I could just leave you, I, leave you all with anything, I just would say um, remember, remember Jesus and remember the Savior and fear the Lord because it is the beginning of knowledge. Pray with me. <clears throat>